Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikel Rogers-Wood. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, a retired Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. At the end of episode five, Amy was talking to us about how she shared her diagnosis of breast cancer with her children. We pick back up with her now. With my daughter, who was 15 at the time, it kind of took me aback. She was very calm about it, very thoughtfully just said, wow, this doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. And so to me, that implied she'd already given it some thought, which was not on my radar at all. But then it's her personality to cope with things with humor. And so not long after that, she turned around and she's like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about this. You're too stubborn to die. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) But I know looking back through the past year that she has been appropriately concerned. And um, I'll get into that a little bit more. But that, that was her approach. My son, who was 12 at the time, um, he acted out emotionally, which is not uncommon for him. It had been a long time, um, but he had a very rough evening that day. Uh, it took talking to his father on the phone, my ex-husband, and, you know, regardless of anybody's opinions, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, we did it all that night. Sure. Um, and so by... By the end of the evening, um, he was in a a better place that day. Um, But I I complimented him. I thanked him for using his words when he did start talking um, um, because that's something that I want to positively reinforce. Um, But at bedtime, it was still part of our routine at that time that he would want me to come over and give him a hug and when, when he was in bed and say goodnight. And so he asked me for a hug. I went to give him the hug and he screamed in my ear. He's like, ah, cancer booby. Like, cause I touched him. Oh, <laughs> my, our chest. Oh my <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't catch this from me. So that was, that was a whole nother layer oh. because of COVID. I think that I, I'm told. Oh, that- Okay. I'm told that this is common for children to think, to wonder if they can catch it. But I think that the pandemic added another layer of that because these children had just been drilled on wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands, yeah. you don't catch COVID. Yes. And so he, he was, he didn't come right out and ask, but I said, you can't catch this for me. It's still okay for us to hug. Um, and even, even my, I had a, 13 year old neighbor that carpooled with us at the time. And when I told him, he even asked, can I catch that from you? And it surprised me for that age that they were asking that question. But, but think um, about it. You are a person who they can ask because like to your point, we have no idea what they're knitting together and making reality. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, ask those strange questions. Yep. And, and you, you, I guess you demonstrated, you can ask me anything. We had that, th- that foundation already built. 
I think, which was important, important because going back to that same son in the beginning, he did not want anyone using the word cancer. He knew, but he didn't want anyone using the word cancer. He didn't want me accepting phone calls from the doctors or the hospital. And I had to have a conversation with him and say, look, this is how I'm going to get better. Like I have to take these phone calls so that I can get better. And this is where his words came in that I praised him for, because he said, I just don't want the same thing to happen to you that happened to grandma. Oh. So at the what in reality, as an adult, I can, I'm aware she was a long-term survivor more than 20 years. She, she, but she, in their limited life experience, mm -hmm. she had cancer three times. And in the end, um, you know, it was in her spine. It was, it was all over the place, but the doctor said it was breast cancer that had spread. Um, and so we, we had to have that conversation, but my children were old enough for that. And I still, I think language is very important. Even when it's like going into surgeries, like we don't say for anesthesia, that medicine's going to put me to sleep because we have pets, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't want children to make that, that connection. Like the, mommy's getting put to sleep like our dog did. Um, instead, we talked through, I'm going to get a special medicine. It's going to help me not feel the surgery and not remember the surgery. And when the surgery is done, they'll stop giving me that medicine. And then, then I can wake up. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of terminology, I think that's where my background as a child life specialist has been beneficial. But that's just how we've always done it, even with their medical procedures. Like I try and explain things ahead of time. Your important job is to stay still. If you can hold your arm still, this will get done faster. And then this is what we're going to do afterwards. And, and this is why we're doing this. You know, I explain that to them as well. What about kind of, I imagine, I'm, I'm thinking about, like I have young kids. And so I'm imagining like when I'm super stressed, and then they come in and they're like worried about this or that. How did you navigate that, that balance of you have this heavy load of this illness, but you're also caring for kids who are worried about this illness. So how did you navigate that? Interestingly enough, my, my husband might say something different <laughs> than my answer, but interestingly enough, I think I was more patient after my diagnosis, because I'm really somebody who was burning the candle at both ends before my diagnosis. I worked full time. Uh, you know, we were running to all of the hockey practices and chorus practices and whatever everybody was into and working full time. And, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. It was just whatever was on the agenda. And between the pandemic and this diagnosis, it really forced us to slow down. And there are definitely, I'm not going to lie, there are definitely times where I thought to myself, do you understand that I have cancer? Like, I can't do this right now. But I didn't say mm -hmm. that out loud to them because they're children. And I'll, I'll, I'll share another story with you. Coming home from that first doctor that I said I went to see, my husband was driving. We had the girls on speakerphone and I said, we got great news. They had asked, how did it go? I said, we got great news. Um, he says, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to, it's, you know, I've got to do medicine and, and surgeries and stuff, but then I should be fine. 
And they were like, yay. And then they said, hey, do you know there's supposed to be a meteor shower tonight? And I'm like, that is exactly where I want your brain to be. <laughs> like life goes on because, exactly. you know, just because I got diagnosed with cancer, the, the rest of the world is not stopping. The world doesn't end, but but tell me, have, how are they? Um, how are they now that uh, you have um, beaten? I'm going to use this between quotes, beaten the cancer for the for for now, you know, and hopefully it'll be forever. But how are they now? How do they respond to you? Do they ask you any other questions? Do they seem worried? Um, no, and interest. Well, I do think they're worried at at some level, but. Something that's interesting to me is my hair is just starting to grow back. Um, it looks good, by the way. Oh, thank you. I th thank you. I like it. Um, it was it was a visual cue to them that I that mommy was getting better, and that was something I had to naturally learn because two of them said it separately at different times. Like my oldest daughter, that I said. Um, you know, said was she was going to use humor. She told me one day, one of her teachers asked how I was doing. And she said, oh, she's getting better. Her hair's growing back. And <laughs> so it wasn't something we had talked about, but that they could visually yeah. see my hair was coming back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some, some of the other kids have said that too at different times without hearing um, another sibling say right. that. So I think they're feeling better about it. Again, going back to my child life background, I gave them choices. You know, I had a port placed. Do you want to feel it? You know, this is why I have this. And, you know, after my surgeries, I had drains that were sticking out, but they were under my clothes. But I gave them the, you know, there was obviously something under my clothes. At one point I had four at one time. And do you want to see it? Some said yes. Some said no. It's just trying to meet them where they're at. And I think yeah. right now with my hair growing back and being done with chemo and being done with radiation, they, um, they're, they're less worried and less concerned and happy. I, but I do know, like, I'm still regularly going to doctor's appointments and my one son in particular that I've talked about, he kind of, you can see it, the nonverbal, he kind of stiffens up, like, what are you going, what are you going there for? And it's like, I, yeah. you know, it's fine. They're just checking on me. I'm just getting, they're going to test my blood and make sure everything's going okay. And then you can see his body relaxed. So it's on their minds. But I think when I was able to go, you know, I'm back to work. I'm still in school. I'm still dry. It was one, one thing that was really important to me for that son in particular was driving him to school and picking him up, being the one to be able to do that. So he had that sense of consistency and even in my support groups, um, at where at the hospital, through the hospital where I'm treated, they had at, well, more than once encouraged me to not like that. It's okay to accept help from other people. And I get that, but I think that there's a balance there too. Like I still was in mom mode. I was still trying to protect them. And if, if me driving less than two miles to be the one to be able to pick him up after school was going to help him in his normal routine, that was, a, that was a sign for him that I could do that. That was something that was really important to me too. I think 
you know, the unknown is scary for us as just human beings, whether we're children or adults. And so I, I don't know. There was something really vivid about how you were talking about having this port and having drains and like they know something is going on. And so there's something really empowering, I would imagine, about them knowing if I want to see, I can. But if I just know and pass on the opportunity to see, then it's It's not this scary thing that somebody's trying to hide from me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's there when you're yes. ready. Like I had bought this children's book. It's titled something. I don't know that I'm going to get it exact, but some, what, what happens when somebody you love has cancer and our youngest daughter was read it out loud, cover to cover to my husband and I. And as soon as she pulled it out, my, my son was like, Nope, I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with this, you know? And in the beginning, my husband and I made the decision. We were going to try and laugh through this as much as possible and and it's really important to me to involve the kids. So be, when I, I knew I was going to lose my hair before that happened, um, they dyed my hair blue and purple. Um, oh, that's awesome. And th- it was pretty funny because it was pretty bad. And <laughs> <laughs> I was bald with like blue spots on my head. Oh my but but uh, it was a great conversation starter at the hospital. <laughs> um, but I also let the kids shave my head they if, if they wanted to. And they participated with that as well. Mm-hmm. We, we just tried to make just include them and make each of those things as fun as we could. In contrast, previous generations of parents and adults didn't always take that same perspective. I think the whole notion about um, parents not telling their children for different reasons, and it may be uh, in, in your generation, it is quite different because we, our reality and our child-rearing practices are different now than they were when I was growing up and when my parents were alive. That, I think, somehow, um, it, uh, what's the word? It represents why people are the way they are right now, why parents, why mothers especially are the way they are, because they they want to make sure that they protect their children at all costs. And um, that may not necessarily be the best thing at times. Well, and I also wonder if there's any influence, like, yes, there's still negative outcomes as a result of cancer being in the body. At the same time, especially I'm thinking about what Lauren shared about her own treatment, there Mm -hmm. are new and much better treatments coming out now than, say, 50 years ago, and they seem to be coming out with much more regularity than Mm -hmm. we're making more and better and faster advancements than we did 50 years ago. And so I wonder if that also played a role in different generations managing it differently and what cancer might have meant to people 50 years ago. Cancer was a death sentence. That was it. Once you had cancer, it was a death sentence. I mean, there was no, um, okay, I'm going to be cured. Or I'm going to be able to live with it because of the medication I have. I, I live with it until I die. And you know, you found that people, I, I remember my aunt, um, 
having cancer and she just got smaller and smaller so much so that her children were taken away from her they, not, not taken away because of a punishment but because they didn't want the children to live in the house with the mother they felt that somehow that's going to affect the children but even not that the taking them out of the house would affect them it will it will so it was quite different you know so yeah yeah times have changed Thankfully, Sarah had a very different experience. But you know, um, you talked about, about the fact that your children could not visit. How did they initially deal with your diagnosis? Or actually, uh, if you don't mind, Mom, piggybacking on that, like, yeah. what did you want to do in that situation? Because I don't want to take for granted, because not everybody wants to kind of tell yeah their kids yes. granted you had to you had to leave because you were immunocompromised yeah. but some people might have just made a different choice about how to explain that. yeah it was hard you know yeah. at that time my kids were two and eight so the two-year-old i mean it was awful not seeing him but he didn't understand anything that was happening he knew mommy was at home but we would facetime you know we had the opportunity to video chat and and still communicate together and you know his attention span as a two-year-old was like oh mommy's there Hi! like excited to see you for that moment and then <laughs> off to run and play paw patrol or whatever it was he was doing so thankfully yeah. for him i think it wasn't you know that traumatic but for my daughter like I took her to school that Monday morning and I took her to school and dropped her off and normally I would have been the person that picked her up but instead she got home and found out that mom's in the hospital like that it was a lot for her to process and I think that was emotionally a lot more for her to handle and in the beginning you know again we're video chatting I'm talking to her every day so you know thankfully I was in a place where I could still like communicate with her and have that conversation and we kept it really simple you know I didn't want to make her scared. I didn't, you know, and at that point I'm terrified, you know, I had no idea what the future yeah. was going to hold for this. So, you know, it was a mom needs to be here because I need really, really strong medicine and the medicine that they're going to give me, they need to give me here. And the doctors are here to help me feel better. And they're giving me this really great medicine. And as soon as they say I can come home, I'm coming home. And we kind of left that first month there, like, I need medicine. They're giving it to me here and I'll be home when I can get home. And I was actually able to go home about a week earlier than they thought I'd be able to go home. So then we got to surprise mm -hmm. her with, you know, I came home oh. the night before Halloween. It was really exciting. You know, she came home from baseball and I was upstairs laying on the couch and she, you know, started crying and was over the moon. And so that was, you yeah. know, really great that we tried to keep it low. And I was in communication with her teachers, like trying to make sure at school they understood what was going on. Um, and we're keeping things, you know, just keep keeping an eye on how she was doing. And I talked a lot with the social work team at the hospital because I just didn't know how I wanted to handle it with her. I wasn't sure if, you know, I said the words leukemia, but I knew she didn't know leukemia was cancer. And I was worried about saying cancer because my husband's uh, mom passed away from breast cancer. Oh. She's never met grandma she just knows that grandma died grandma had breast cancer you know we visited the grave they live up in pennsylvania but she i didn't want her to hear cancer and think oh gosh mom's gonna die grandma died like that to be that first idea that she would have so i was really struggling with 
how do we communicate this to her? And I don't want to lie to her. So that's where I was like, I settled on, okay, we can call it leukemia because I know she doesn't really understand what that is. And we talked about how it was a problem with my blood and that they were helping, you know, with the medicine and they're helping to get my blood healthy again. So we talked about it in those terms, but it took a while. And she was actually the first to say cancer because, you know, we had this communication. She knew what was going on. And then when it came time for this bone marrow transplant and I was going to need to be away for a long time again, um, that's when it became a little bit more real. And at that point, she knew I was going to Moffitt. Moffitt has TV commercials all about how they do this great work with cancer. Uh, You know, know, so she's hearing that, you know, she sees the commercials on TV. So um, we talked a lot about what was going to happen with the transplant, why I was getting this. And then one day she says to me, Mom, so... I mean, you go to Moffitt, right? And I said, well, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's where we're going to have this transplant. She goes, but they help people with cancer. Yep, they do. She said, is leukemia cancer? And that's kind of like when she said it first, and I think it was better that way for us, at least, because she saw that I was doing okay. Like, I wasn't having a hard time. I, I was doing okay with the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think if I had said that word in that first month when, you know, none of us knew what was happening, it was probably going to be a harder thing for her to process. But I think she had been sort of processing it in her own way. And then she was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I get this. And yeah, what I find really interesting is like, we don't really know how they make sense of things, but like she was clearly putting pieces together from what you told her, what whatever she understood, and then her environment. And then all of a sudden it was like, what's kind of cool though, was that you have the kind of relationship where once she put the puzzle together, she could hand it to you and say, I think this is what's going on. Is that right? Yeah. So it was, it was neat that she felt comfortable. Yeah, it was to, great. To and you. we, she had a really fabulous school counselor too, which was helpful. So I had a lot of communication with her school counselor and, you know, this is what's going on and especially going into the bone marrow transplant because the unfortunate piece was, you know, obviously we wanted to get into transplant as soon as possible, but it meant that I went into the hospital the week before her birthday and my transplant date was actually the day after her birthday. So I was missing her ninth birthday and I knew that was going to happen, you know, as we were making plans for this. And it was just this unfortunate, like, ugh, what are we going to do? So we had a lot of discussion and that's where I wanted to make sure like the school team also was on board with this idea. I knew she was going to be sad that I wasn't there on her birthday physically, like right there with her. Um, So I wanted to make sure they were looking out for her too. And we wound up actually having a really fabulous birthday. It was really fun. You know, we did a virtual birthday party. We invited friends from like other States and we had some fun activities that we had shipped out to our friends that were going to join. So I had a little box of the activities at the hospital. So I'm doing it along with the kids. Like it actually wound up being for what it was like fun. And we did something. And then this year we celebrated our birthdays together in that, you know, it was her 10th birthday, but it was my first rebirthday after the stem cells. So they were the day, like one day after each other. And we were able to celebrate that together, which was really fun. With your kids, like, how do you navigate this? Because you've talked a lot about how hard you had to fight to have them. And so I imagine that you're really protective of them. Cancer is a super scary thing. How does a parent, I mean, 
how do you kind of go, okay, I found out that I have cancer. Do I tell my kids? When do I tell my kids? How do I tell my kids? Like, how did you, how did you navigate that? And I'm, I'm sure you're yeah. still navigating it because you're still in treatment. Yeah. But yeah, tell me about that. So you know yeah. it from the adult point of view. What do you, what, how, how did you talk to your kids? And did you talk to your kids? Yeah, you know, I think it was harder before I knew I had cancer. I mean, it was definitely hard to explain cancer. But before I knew I had cancer, I was just sick. I had no energy. I was nauseous all the time. I could barely get out of bed. I was in constant pain. And I couldn't do the things I wanted to do with my kids. That was Malu. At least with cancer, I could explain to them that I had something that they couldn't get. Like, I knew that they couldn't get what I had, but then, you know, but you don't necessarily know, too, Mm -hmm. you know? And for four-year-olds, it's very base. I mean, I found books of for parents telling their kids that they have cancer. So I got a couple of those books. So did you always know, I'm going to tell them? Because part of what I've learned in the last couple of months is that for some parents, they choose for their whatever reason not to share what's happening. Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of research on it. And for child development, it's better for the kids to know. Because kids can usually tell. And I'm not trying to, like be disrespectful of people who choose not to share their diagnosis but I've always been very honest in my life and especially with my children and um and my and I just felt like it's better for them to understand it and to have a narrative about it and to be able to talk about it because it's something that's going to be talked about around them anyway, especially with four-year-olds. You know, you might edit yourself more around eight-year-olds, but you, you don't really do that around four-year-olds, you know? And then I also, like, um, through MD Anderson, they have a social worker attached to my case too, and that was one of the first people I, I met with. And she gave me books and information too, and they have support systems for kids too. And all the literature that I was reading was saying how important it is for your kids to understand. Now, I didn't tell my kids that I had cancer as soon as I found out. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to tell them until I knew how to tell them. So I had to find the right book that could they could relate to at a four-year-old level. Because otherwise, I'm just like telling them adult stuff that makes no sense to them, right? And I was already getting confused with stuff like I was already getting some brain fog and um, short-term memory loss and so I didn't want to mess it up or make it worse and so I found a book yeah and how have the kids handled it because probably one of the scariest things about cancer is it's not just I'm sick there's a lot of unknown yeah my my kids were having a really hard time with me being sick Um, I have a girl and a boy and my girl went into instant caregiver mode and my son just came into instant like he wanted to be with me all the time kind of mode and then he started getting angry um and scared and his twin sister would talk to me about that but he would not talk to anybody about it i had been trying to get my kids into play therapy for the last couple of months like since october and I couldn't find a play therapist who was, I couldn't find a doctor in Hawaii who was taking new cases. And so that had been an ongoing battle for me because that's definitely a route I would have taken. Um, But um, yeah, I would say that it's made my daughter ultra responsible and it's made my son a little angry. He definitely started acting out and regressing in behavior when I was sick at home. 
he was doing the same thing when I left because I was gone for a few weeks before I was able to afford to bring them up. And so there was definitely trials there. He wouldn't, it was kind of hurtful to me because he, would, he felt abandoned by me when I left to go to the doctor. And so he wouldn't talk to me on the phone, on FaceTime very long either. And um, when my mom told him that they were going to be going up to Texas to see me and to stay with me for a while while I get better, she said he seemed surprised and questioning. And then he kept repeating it to make sure that he had it right. And then he got really excited and packed a backpack and said he was ready to leave now. And then he finally started talking to me on FaceTime because he wanted to know where he was going to sleep and what we were going to do. Sure. And then when they got up here, by the time they got up here, I had the books that I wanted to share with them. And so... So they just knew you were sick until they were reunited with you physically and then you were able to tell them. Yeah, they knew they were sick. I was sick and they knew it was something that they couldn't get. Mm -hmm. But they didn't really know the word of what it was. And then I found a book that was fantastic for their age. And Do you mind telling our listeners you know, yeah. what, was, what really worked for you? Yeah. Um, I found a book. I, I remember the author right now. But um, it was called Cancer Hates Kisses. Um, I believe it was by Jessica R. Slowerski. And um, it's about a mom with a boy and a girl gets diagnosed with cancer and it takes you through everything it took them through the diagnosis the mom feeling sick the doctor's appointments like you know the constant doctor's appointments um and it explained to them like you know like the treatments the needles because there's so many you get poked so many times you know and um losing your hair going to chemo, going to radiation, having surgery, recovering from surgery. And explains to them that, you know, some days mommy just needs to be in her room because she's feeling sick. And some days she's okay, but still needs to be, you know, sitting down. And then some days mommy might have enough energy to like dance with them or, you know, do something with them active. And so, yeah, so it was, it was really great. And that kind of the theme was like cancer hates kisses. And so mommy so it basically transformed for my kids into mommy was a superhero having this huge superhero battle against the big villain cancer and that she powered up with their kisses and their Aww. hugs and their i love you's and their good behavior gave her strength to go fight cancer and so because it says cancer hates kisses so my kids just kiss me and hug me all the time and every now and then whisper in my ear cancer hates kisses that's really helped and so it's made them feel like superheroes too so we got them little my aunt got them a little some capes and masks and you know like jackets and so um now whenever I come home from my last chemo I wear my superhero shirt and they wear their superhero clothes and we rejoiced because I, you know, finished another battle and now I have to rest up to get ready for the next one, you know. So it definitely, it's definitely helped them more. It's made them understand. And I, I think time also helps too. Time is helping them understand my limitations. And I think, and this is the hard part because it, it sounds like, you know, it's scary. And in a way, your son kind of got the scary nature, the unexpected nature of it. But at the same time... What's really cool about that book and what it sounds like you and your kids are doing is 
this is a team effort mm -hmm. and um, even though there are some things that only you can do there are really important ways that they help yeah in that process next time on at the same time but then it's that year afterward after treatment when you are now you're healing physically but you're just beginning to figure out oh my goodness look what I look what's happened you know look what happened over the last year that I wasn't there for and let's looking to the future like what does this mean for me and, and it's that next that's next season the season after treatment that's so difficult if you enjoyed the show please be sure to rate and subscribe to at the same time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts that way you won't miss a single episode we'd love for you to connect with us online our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm you can also send us an email our address is sametimepod at gmail.com. Thank you to our guests, Malu Panohu, Amy Artuzo, Sarah Haverstick, and Lauren Huffmaster. Episode written and produced by Dr. Nikel Rogers-Wood. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2022 by Nikel Rogers-Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers, PhD.